Should Christians support or oppose banning certain refugees from coming into the country? More than 2,000 faith leaders have signed a letter urging the president to allow them in. But other Christian leaders, including my guest today, say banning some refugees is necessary to protect Americans. Welcome to Seeking Truth. I'm Julie Royce, and you can find me online at julieroyce, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Well, joining me now is Brigitte Gabriel, president of Act for America, the largest nonprofit national security organization in America. Brigitte was born in Lebanon to Marianite Christians and fled that country during the Lebanese Civil War. She now is a citizen of the United States. So, Brigitte, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you join me. Oh, thank you, Julie, for having me with you. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, I'm delighted to have you. I've heard you speak on CNN and Fox News, and you're, you're all over the place. And always a really powerful uh, testimony that you give based on your own life experience, but also on your extensive research. So, uh, again, just thrilled to have you with us. Let me start with the refugee situation. You believe that the refugees coming into the United States do pose a national security threat, especially those coming from certain uh, Islamic states. Others are saying the vetting process has been improved and now it's quite thorough and that we can rest assured that these refugees cleared to immigrate here do not pose a threat. So what do you say to those who say they're not a threat and we're making way too much out of this than it actually warrants? Well, we are concerned about the refugees coming here because we did not have a good vetting process in place. And this is exactly why President Trump uh, was very concerned and he uh, instituted the travel pause. I know a lot of people are calling it a Muslim ban. It's not a Muslim ban. It's basically a travel pause until we can figure out a better way, Julie, to be able to vet them so we can know that whoever's coming into our country, we can trust. And when you look at the facts based on what what we have dealt with already uh, with refugees coming here. The facts speak for themselves. The intelligence community came out and already reported that 72 refugees from the countries that have been put on the ban by President Trump, no less than 72 have been arrested on terrorism-related charges and different crimes. 33 of them have served at least three years in jail for terrorism-related charges. And that's just what the intelligence community came out to say. Uh, the latest was a Somali refugee that basically we all remember on Ohio State University with a machete running around slashing people and, and cutting people up. Uh, another Somali refugee just went on a stabbing spree at a mall in St. Cloud, Minnesota, just around the holidays. So this is exactly the reason why we needed to put a travel pause in order to figure out, take the next 90 days to figure out a way uh, where we can do a better job in vetting those into coming into our country so we can make sure we protect the lives of Americans. My question, and I think a lot of Americans are wondering this, and it's kind of hard to even wonder it out loud, but Islam is a religion. It's also an ideology. What do we do with this ideology? How do we wrestle with something that can turn violent so easily? How, how do we deal with that? Well, it is an ideology, and what people need to understand is Islam is very different than Christianity. Islam is a, is a political ideology cloaked in religion. See, Christianity is strictly a spiritual movement. Judaism is strictly a spiritual movement. But Islam is a political ideology cloaked in religion. And what most, most people don't realize is that within the first 12 years of Pref, uh, Prophet Muhammad receiving his revelation from the angel Gabriel, that he is to be the last of the prophets, 
prophets, Islam was strictly spiritual. There was no political element to it. It only became political when Prophet Muhammad made the hijra and left his own city, Mecca, and went to Medina, uh, hoping to be able to recruit more followers in Medina. And that's when Islam went from a polit- from strictly a spiritual movement into a political movement. And this is where we see different verses in the Quran contradicting each other, because the verses that were written in the Mecca era were the peaceful ones. This is when he was trying to just preach to recruit from his own people. When he went to Medina, that's when we see all the violent verses coming in, the, vi- the violent verses against the Jews and the Christians, because he went to Medina trying to recruit the Jews and the Christians. And when they refused to accept him, that's when he turned violent against them. And that's when we see uh, uh, the verses in the Quran about killing off the infidels, uh, cutting off their heads, cutting off their fingers and toes because they disobeyed Allah. This is where uh, uh, all the words about jihad as a holy war uh, started appearing in the Quran, not the spiritual struggle, but a holy war. And there is a law in the Quran. It's called the law of abrogation. In Arabic, it is pronounced which says if there are two verses in the Quran contradicting each other, the latter verse becomes the, the, the official verse, and it wipes off the first verse. This is why when we see the moderates and the, what we call the radicals get into a debate together, the radicals always win the debate because the law is on their hands, is on their side. And this is why when we see, when we talk about different Muslims interpreting the Quran differently, those who interpret the Quran anything differently than what the jihadists inter- interpret the Quran basically do not understand their own religion. And this is why the jihadists are having tractions worldwide much more than any moderates rising. And when you look at the moderates in the United States, for example, you take Zahdi Jasser, for example, out of Arizona. Um, you take Noni Darwish. Uh, I mean, you, you barely hear Noni Darwish's name. You hear Zahdi Jasser because he's interviewed on Fox sometimes, but they barely have any tractions. I mean, I personally asked Zahdi, and I said, great, how many members do you have in your organization? He said, oh, we have about 2,500. And I said, wonderful, how many of them are Muslims? He said, I'm embarrassed to tell you, maybe 150. The rest of them are Jews and Christians. Hmm. Um, basically, people who want to join him to support him. He is kicked out of his own mosque. So what we are seeing is basically what we are witnessing is truly a clash of civilization. And this is a reality that the West will have to, to, to basically deal with because our life depends on it. And by the way, Julie, we are bringing refugees to the United States by the hundreds of thousands of people. We remember under Obama, the quote was 200,000 people for 2017. Now, uh, President Trump can put a cap, and he said he's going to put a cap at 35,000. By the way, we already reached 35,000, so the president can put a cap on that. And that's already for this year, fiscal year, which started October 1st. What are we now, middle of February? Mm-hmm. And we already reached 35,000. So when you look at the past years, of all the Somalis we imported, of all the uh, uh, people from Uzbekistan that we imported, of all the people from different national Iraqis that we imported, we are talking about hundreds of thousands of people. And that's what Americans need to understand. When I hear you describe Islam as an ideology, as a political movement, I'm just wondering, how do you vet for that? Can it be vetted? 
you can't really, uh, uh, there are certain ways you can ask them about, you know, the best way to vet them is offer them a ham sandwich and just see the look on their face. <laughs> well, they could reject a ham sandwich and, and still be very moderate. We don't know. I mean, how do we know what's inside their hearts? I mean, well, how can we know Well, usually people who are devout, who follow the Islam, uh, the Quran to the letter and the books of the Islam to the books of Islam, which is the Quran, the Hadith, and the Sirah. See, we in the Bible have the Bible, but under the Islamic religion, they have the Quran, the Hadith, and the Sirah, the three books which makes the Islamic religion. And usually, the more someone is devout, the more someone follows the commandments of the Quran, the more radicals they become. We on the Christian side, the more devout somebody becomes, the better person they become, because they become more like Jesus, who preached forgiveness, who preached whoever slaps you on one cheek, you turn the other. Pray for those who persecute you. Forgive those who trespass against you. That's our religion. In the Islamic religion, it is very different. So people who become more immersed in the Quran and follow in the footsteps of Prophet Muhammad, who himself ordered the killing and the beheading of innocent people, uh, and of course they emulate him as he is the perfect man, and they are drawn to become like him, those are the ones who become more radical. So you're, you're very... Uh, 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 those who are moderates, who don't eat ham or who eat ham, are very much in the minority. Uh, you're going to be able to tell very much by people's behavior um, and, and breathing whether or not they are lying to you. And this is where the Israelis have perfected profiling based on behavior and mannerism. Because when the Israelis, for example, profile, when they are vetting people who are coming into their own country, basically what they are vetting is behavioral uh, behavior and, and, and um, uh, an expression. And so it doesn't matter what somebody says. These agents are trained in a sophisticated way on what to look out for. This is how we need to train those who are vetting people at our embassies, who are applying for visas to come into our country, or those who are interviewing refugees qualifying them to enter the country. Hmm. But in doing that, you are going to vet out some who may be devout and may not be violent at all. Uh, I guess. Look at it this way. If you know that there's an Ebola virus exploding in Africa right now, in Nairobi, mm-hmm. and we already have had two cases of, uh, of Ebola virus come into the United States with the people wrapped up, ambulances, police cars going behind them. They, they evacuate the hospital to put that one patient in there. Would you open up the floodgate to people coming from Nairobi? I can tell you the answer now. No. You know how I know now? Because our country... Was when the Ebola virus exploded, just two cases came back to America. America shut down all people coming in the United States from these African countries, period, bar none. I had a chapter leader who wanted to come into the United States from Nairobi to attend our national conference, and he, it was impossible for him to get a visa to come to the United States because of the Ebola virus. And that was a virus. Now, was America discriminating against all people in Africa coming into the United States simply because we had two cases of people coming in with the Ebola virus? You know what? A lot of people didn't have it, and they could have entered the United States. But America was not going to take a chance. So if you know that there is one Muslim radical who is an ISIS sympathizer who is willing to come to America, strap a suicide belt on his body, and walk into a mall or a movie theater or a basketball game and blow up 2,000 people, would you be willing to let that one person in? As you alluded, though, 
we're Christians, and we have a God who tells us to welcome the stranger. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. And so I think it's very difficult for Christians, especially who are American citizens, but feel truly a lot of compassion for these refugees. And so many of them come from such incredible, pitiable circumstances. And you yourself, you were a victim of Islamic terror yourself. Uh, Not really. I was in Lebanon. I immigrated to Israel. And from Israel, I immigrated to the United States. Very different. But here's an example, Julie, um, about, you know, people coming here and compassion. In the Bible, Jesus said, be as kind as dove. And what's the remaining of the sentence? And as wise wise as serpents. serpents. Mm -hmm. So Jesus commanded us to exercise wisdom. This is why a church has security cameras around the church. The church has an alarm system, an ADT alarm system or whatever. Many Christians I know have an ADT system in their home. Why? Not because they think every neighbor of theirs is going to break into their house. It's because they are exercising wisdom in protecting their family. And the wisdom is putting in a security uh, uh, um, um, system in order to protect those who are coming to wish us harm. So if somebody knocks on your door and you have a security system, Julie, in your home at 1 a.m. in the morning, and you look through the, the eye hole in your door and you look outside as to who's knocking on your door, and it's 1 a.m., and you see three guys with tattoos and body piercing from head to toe, and they tell you, we want to come in, you know, our car broke down the street, and you know you've got two daughters sleeping in your home and your husband is out of town. <sighs> Would you open the door at 1 o'clock in the morning to these three people? Now, they could be kind. Their car maybe really did break down the street. But what would be the wise thing that you would do, your first reaction? Would you open the door and allow these three people into your home with your daughter sleeping? Or would you say, hold on one second, let me call whatever car service that can come help you, or I'll call a taxi, or I'll call, tell me your insurance company, so I may call them on my cell phone and send them to your location to help you with your car. Hmm. Well, what would be the equivalent of that then? How can we help refugees without letting them into the country? Actually, the way we can help them is for less than quarter of the money we're going to be spending into uprooting them and bringing them into the United States is work with our allies in the Middle East. For example, Saudi Arabia has tents that will house 5 million people, fully air-conditioned, fully staffed bedrooms, kitchenettes, bathrooms, and they are empty for 11 months out of the year, and they're only set up for the Hajj. In other words, it will not cost Saudi Arabia one dime extra in order to let these people come in who speak the Arabic language, who eat Arabic food, who are majority Muslims, who can pray and fit into a society or a culture where they already speak the language. Their children can go to school where they attend schools already continuing their education. So if I'm a refugee and my son is in sixth grade and he went to school in Syria, it's much easier for my son to walk into seventh grade in Saudi Arabia and continue the same education with the same language with the same topics than bringing my son into the United States where he doesn't speak English, having to teach him a different language, putting 
bring him into a different culture. It's much more cruel on the children to force them to adjust into a different culture and a different climate weather-wise than keeping them in their own region. And there is massive territory where they can be taken in the Middle East, whether it's Jordan. Look at Lebanon. Lebanon is a population of 3 million. We already took 3 million Syrians. Right now, Lebanon is at 6 million. And we are the smallest country in the Middle East. If you look at Lebanon, it's nothing but a dot on the map. Mm -hmm. So when you look at different Muslim countries in the Middle East, whether it's Syria, Iraq, uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, there's plenty of places where we can actually even give give these governments money to take in refugees, and it will be much cheaper than bringing them to America, and they could be adjusted in their own region of the world on their own weather and climate with their own language. But isn't that the problem, Brigitte, that often these refugees are not welcome in the Arab countries and the Arab countries don't receive them? They do let them in, but we need to apply pressure on our allies to have mercy and take care of these refugees in their own countries. The Saudi Arabia, Arabia brings in over $7 billion a day in oil revenue alone. The least they can do is help these Muslims integrate into the region in the Middle East. Plus, if we want to do that with the refugees, exercise that level um, of compassion with the refugees in the Middle East, how come we did not do that with the refugees of Congo and Sudan? As you mm-hmm. very well know, mm-hmm. five million people were slaughtered between 2000 and 2010 in Congo and Sudan. Five million, far more than anything we have ever seen in the Middle East. How come we did not take people in from Congo? Well, we did. What was the difference? We did take in. I mean, wasn't that our largest group of refugees last year was from Congo? Uh, not, not, I'm not talking about last year. I'm talking during the 2000 when they were being slaughtered. Okay. And they are a fraction when you compare them, for example, to Somalia, the, the Muslims who came from Somalia and different parts of the world. And by the way, we are still taking people from Somalia, even though the war ended in Somalia 14 years ago. As a matter of fact, the first Muslim elected official in the United States, the woman that was elected in, in, in uh, Minneapolis mm-hmm. actually went back in official diplomatic visit to Somalia and was welcomed by the president of Somalia. So why are we still taking refugees from Somalia and putting the burden on the American taxpayers? Let me ask you this question, because I've heard this argument a lot, is that people coming from these countries where they had been victims of Islamic militants and uh, terror, that they are the least likely to actually support Islamic terrorism because they've been the victims of it. They hate it more than probably anybody on the planet. How do you respond to that? A great question. I wish this was reality, because when you look at the facts, the facts speak the absolute opposite. When you look at how many Somalis we have taken into the United States by the hundreds of thousands in the last decade, the Somali population is the biggest uh, uh, population of terrorists in the United States. We have had, out of the Somali community alone, 42 people who already left and are now fighting with al-Shabaab in Somalia. 42 out of the Somali community alone, and that's only the Somali community out of Minneapolis-St. Paul, out of one region. So when you look at all the Somalis that we brought in here who supposedly escaped terrorism, how come we have the largest link of terrorists who already went and fighting with terrorists overseas, basically are from the Somali community? As a matter of fact, the first American suicide bomber who blew himself up fighting overseas with terrorism was a Somali-American who was naturalized who came here as a refugee. Hmm. 
Last question, because I know that you need to go, but I wanted to ask you about Christian refugees. Uh, As you know, less than 2% of the Syrian refugees admitted into the U.S. last year were Christian, or to put into raw numbers, only 64 of the 12,500 Syrian refugees who immigrated here were Christian. The Obama administration said there was no plot to keep them out. What do you think? Why why haven't more Christian refugees been allowed into the country? And how can we remedy that situation if we're not allowing any refugees in from Syria? The refugees that are coming are basically picked out of U.N. camps. The U.N. decides what refugees come to America, not America. The U.N., the United uh, Nations Commission on Refugees, tells the State Department what refugees are coming in. The State Department works with nine federal contractors uh, who are basically six out of the uh, nine are Christian and, and Jewish charity, one Jewish charity, the rest are Christians, who basically are not passing the bucket on Sunday morning collecting the over for $1 billion price tag to resettle the refugees, they are getting it from the Treasury Department, your tax dollars and my tax dollars to the tune of millions, billions. But here's how they are coming in. The United Nations is picking up the refugees from the refugee camps all around the world and especially in Europe. The Christians are not in the refugee camps because the minute the Christians come to the refugee camps, they are being raped, Mm -hmm. they are being beaten, they are being abused by the same Muslim refugees who are sharing the camps. So the Christians, as soon as they get to Europe or to these refugee camps because of the abuse, are fleeing the refugee camps and they are taking chances on their own on the street to support themselves. And this is why when the UN is choosing those refugees coming out of the UN camps, they are majority Muslim. Plus, remember, the UN is under the influence of the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, which is the largest Islamic bloc of Islamic countries at the United Nations. That's why we are seeing more Muslims come to America and not Christians. Well, Brigitte, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. As always, a very enlightening interview. And thank you for speaking up. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me with you. And I encourage people to go to our website, actforamerica.org, and join us. We are the largest national security organization in the country with half a million members and 1,000 chapters nationwide. Well, you've been listening to Seeking Truth, a podcast exploring issues related to faith and culture. I'm Julie Royce, and if you'd like to connect with me personally, just go to julieroyce, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Also, while you're there, please sign up for updates so we can stay in touch. And when you do, you'll receive a free download of a guide I produce on five ways you can use social media to stop Planned Parenthood. So again, just go to julieroyce.com. Thanks so much for joining me. Hope you have a great week and continue seeking truth.